This is Focal Point for Friday the 26th of June 2009. We're talking about web search upstarts. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? I'm cold and I'm wet. Well, I'm not wet, I'm just cold at the moment. <laughs> um, well, it's the kind of weather we're having in Perth at the moment. That's what you've got to uh, greet you on your return from Prague. That's right. This is my last day in Prague. So in about eight hours, I'll be hopping in a flight and uh, back home on the weekend. Have, a, have had a great time here. And you know, the technology has worked really well. So I've run webinars. I've done client consulting. And we've been able to record podcasts as, as we're doing today. Yep. The, the topic today is we're talking about search engines on the web. I think the last time people have really started, well, we're really talking about search engines was uh, many, many years ago. So it seems like this is so 20th century, but it's something that's reared its, its pretty head again. And in a previous podcast, we spoke about the fact that we were a bit disappointed that there was no significant competition to Google. Whereas if you look at the late 1990s, there were. There was AltaVista, Lycos, Yahoo!, Ask Jeeves, Hotbot, Northern Light, and a whole bunch of others. And then suddenly Google came along and really changed the whole search landscape so that it became dominant and most of the others just fell by the wayside. And the only one of those that's really remained has been Yahoo, and that's still around, but all the others have fallen by the wayside. But recently there have been a couple of others, so Wolfram Alpha and Microsoft Bing. So we're going to be talking about that and wondering whether they are really serious challenges to Google or will they be just like the others who've been um, wannabes and have just fallen fallen by the wayside? Yeah, that's right. So in the past, I don't know, five or so years, we really haven't seen any significant challenges. There have been a few upstarts that have been um, hyped, and it's all turned out to be hot air. So one, an Iris search engine, Quill, I'm not even sure if that's the right pronunciation, was uh, was uh, going to be uh, the Google killer a few years ago, and I don't think anyone outside of you and me might have heard of Quill. Um, so we wanted to have a look at Alpha and Bing because there's been quite a lot of um, uh, press and and, um, and stuff going on in blogs about them and to just see whether they really are serious challenges to Google or whether they're just pretenders to the throne. All right, so, so we do them in alphabetical order. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> All right, in that case, the first of them is uh, Wolfram Alpha, and um, I guess it, it actually was uh, released a little earlier than Bing, um, as far as I can recall. Um, and having had a look at it, uh, it touts itself not so much as a direct competitor to Google in that it's not a web search engine. It's uh, referred to by the people at Wolfram as a computational knowledge engine, I think is what they is the phrase that they use. Um, and when I read about uh, a bit of background about it on Wikipedia, it referred to it as an answers engine. So that's uh, quite a good, uh, good description in that it's like a bit like a reference book. You ask it questions and it searches through its knowledge base and attempts to come up with an answer for you. I've had a bit of a go with it, and it's quite an impressive tool if you think about what it is that it needs to do and, and, and how well it answers your questions. But at the end of the day, I think there are still some, some big gaps in its knowledge that um, hopefully over time will get filled and it'll become a really powerful tool. So when I tried it, I, I first of all went there and had a look at some of the sample questions that you can ask. And as you said, it's quite impressive. If you ask those sample questions, it gives you pretty good results. But you can't treat it like a normal search engine. And I think that's its biggest drawback. They seem to have gone to pains to say this is not 
a direct competitor to Google. This is something different. However, like most people, they're just going, okay, well, I don't know stuff. Where am I going to find out? And at the moment, it's they go to Google, and they're going to be looking at Wolfram Alpha the same way. So if you're sophisticated and you understand how it works, then you might say, okay, well, this is something that Alpha will do better than Google, so I'll go to Alpha rather than Google. But for most ordinary Internet users, they're not going to be thinking that way. They'll just be saying, okay, well, I don't know something. Let me go and find it on the Internet. And if they go to Alpha, I think they're going to be very frustrated and disappointed very quickly. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, there are three components to the, the Wolfram Alpha tool. There's the, the actual knowledge base from which it draws its answers. Then there's that the computational engine that they talk about, which is um, based on a product that Wolfram are probably best known for called Mathematica. So that does all the computation based on its knowledge base. And then there's the interface, um, which I think is quite nice, the sort of natural language interface for presenting queries to it and the way that it presents its answers. You get all kinds of lovely visualizations and you can drill down into the search results. But it's these gaps in the knowledge base that really are its shortcoming at the moment. And as you say, you can just as equally go to Google and type in a question. And because it's all based on web search, it'll give you a web page that perhaps holds the answers to the the questions that you're asking of Google. Um, So until they really fill those gaps in the knowledge base at Wolfram Alpha, they really aren't going to provide a strong competitor, even in the restricted space of being an answer engine or being a reference book. Yes, so if you were to talk about what's different in the way that Google works and Alpha works, the big difference, as you said, Chris, is that you ask Alpha questions, and what it does is rather than search the Internet for pages that contain those words, it tries to interpret the questions, look up its reference database, and come back with an answer. So, for example how many calories a 40-year-old male who's a certain height and weight would burn if you run at four miles per hour for 30 minutes. So this is an example that uh, a journalist asked, and sure enough, it gives you the answer straight away, which is 272 if you're, if you're interested. Um, whereas Google won't do that. So Google, Google isn't the sort of tool that will give you a direct answer. Instead, it will refer you to somewhere else where you can find the answer. So Alpha is trying to be more like a person where you ask a person a question and that, that person responds, like goes back into, its mem- into their memory and finds the answer and responds just with the answer rather than pulling a book off their bookshelf and saying, look, the answer's in here on this page, which is what Google does. So on the surface, that seems very impressive because that's exactly what you, what you want to know. You don't want to go to a search engine, type in a, type in a question or a query and then search through all the results to then spend the next 10 minutes looking through them to find the answer. You actually want the answer straight away. So it seems like a promising idea, but unfortunately, it's not particularly well implemented at the moment, in my opinion. So, for example, that example of the how many calories do you burn if you run for 30 minutes, that's great, but I tried it with playing squash. Exactly the same question, but putting in squash rather than running, and it has no no response. It has no idea. Whereas Google, at least, will find some web pages, probably from fitness websites, that may have that information. So it might be that you have to look a little bit further uh, and look a little bit deeper with Google, but you, you're going to find the answer probably if it's out there. Whereas with Alpha, if it doesn't know the answer, it just throws up its hands and says, 
I don't know the answer and I can't help you any further. Yeah, that's right. I guess uh, in your analogy of uh, Alpha being uh, like an, a knowledgeable person, Google, I guess, is more like a librarian who says, well, I don't know, but I can refer you to a section of the library or I can refer you to some web pages where you might be able to find that answer. So uh, obviously a library is going to hold far more knowledge than uh, any individual, and I guess that's the difference between the two. And the the other big difference is that if you ask somebody a question and they come back to you with an answer, you have to take it on faith and belief that they've actually given you the right answer and that their knowledge is up to date and their knowledge is correct and they're good at doing calculations. Now, you can assume that Alpha is going to be good at doing calculations because that's what computers are good at. However, you can't always assume that their knowledge is up to date because they're drawing from databases on, and reference material that's available elsewhere. How do you know that that is the most up-to-date information? And again, there's this journalist who did some research comparing the two found that if you search Alpha for some information, um, I think he was searching for population information, and he found that it was a couple of years out of date. He searched Google for the same information, and Google, the top result, was also a couple of years out of date, but the very next one was a reference to a BBC website which had the most up-to-date information. So so Google gives you gives you more options, which given that this is still in its infancy, uh, is a a better thing. It's much better to have more options because it means that we can use our judgment to help the computer rather than relying on what seems to be an omnipotent computer but actually is relying on information that is out of date. Yeah, yeah. In in Google's defense, in Alpha's defense, they do um, cite the references that they use to to support their particular answers. So it says, for instance, one of the references they use are the CIA's um, World Factbook. So if that's the source of the population data or the GDP data it's supplying, then uh, you're able to find out how it came up with that particular answer, which is a nice part of their user interface. Yeah, and, and that's good if you if you then say, okay, well, CIA's World Factbook, great, I rely on the, uh, I'm going to assume that the data is reliable. But if you say, okay, well, I want a second opinion, then Alpha won't give you that. And you know, one of yeah. one of Alpha's sources is Wikipedia, and we've talked all, previously in the podcast, Chris, that Wikipedia is pretty good, but it's always it should always be taken with a grain of salt. If it is the first thing you look at, you should always search for other sources as well. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about Alpha, Chris, is that because it is what, you know, as you described, it's a computational knowledge engine, so it's a reference database, um, it doesn't cover the same breadth of things that, that Google does. So, for example, I've been trying both Alpha and Bing over the last couple of weeks while I've been here in Prague. I went for a weekend away to Florence, and just for the fun of it, I knew this wouldn't work, but I tried typing in in the hotel accommodation Florence into Alpha and it just doesn't give you that sort of information because it's not designed to do that. It's designed to give you facts and numbers and calculations and so I think that more than anything else is its biggest drawback as a competitor to Google and I know we're being a bit unfair by trying to put them side by side and but that's the way that I think normal internet users are going to consider it and if we're talking about upstarts and competitors to Google, that's what we have to do. Yeah, and I guess that's what Stephen Wolfram has sort of tried to stress, hasn't he, that it's not really a competitor to Google. So they've been saying that from from the outset. Um, and while we're on the on the topic of, of alpha and of reference material, something that Google has introduced recently is that it's started to provide you those sorts of answers as well anyway. So not just web search, but access to, for example, 
the Obama administration has uh, has tried to um, open up access to public sector data, and some of that reference material is now making its way into search engines like Google and other other search uh, engines as well. And so recently, uh, it's you've been able to conduct searches on Google, which provides similar kinds of answers to the kinds of questions you might be asking on um, Wolfram Alpha. Yeah, and that is a good thing. And maybe, uh, as you yeah. mentioned to me before the podcast, maybe it was things like Wolfram Alpha that have helped Google bring in those new features, which are good for consumers. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Bing. Okie dokie. <laughs> so well, Bing, think... Bing as well have touted themselves as uh, as uh, something other than a, uh, a web search engine. They've uh, touted themselves, if you watch their introductory video, as a decision engine. Um, so, but from uh, from my uh, usage of um, of Bing, it seems much more similar to uh, Google in terms of being uh, a web search device. And I agree with that. I agree with that. So yes, they. I, I think again to protect their their branding and their positioning, they're saying we're not a competitor to Google, but we. Uh, will help you make decisions like where do you want to go for dinner tonight or where should I go for my next holiday and it's supposed to assist you in those sort of decisions. Uh, it's the, the people I've heard talk about this speak very highly of it and these are people who aren't necessarily easily impressed but they seem pretty impressed by Bing and as you said, even though they're not positioning themselves as a competitor to Google, I think everyone knows that they're trying to be a competitor to Google, and people are saying that it's actually pretty good. My experience hasn't been as positive. It has been reasonably good, but not as positive. And I think one of the reasons is that it's at the moment it's very US-centric. So again, when I was searching for uh, information about Florence, because that is the sort of thing that, that Bing should be good at, to say, what should I do if I've got two days in Florence? That's exactly the sort of query that Bing should be able to uh, excel at and even beat Google at. But as soon as I did that, the, the results were cluttered with information about Florence, Arizona, rather than Florence, Italy. So maybe it's just part of its rollout, part of its evolution, is that it's particularly good for American users, but not yet as good for the rest of the world. So that accounts for why I didn't see many American tourists in Florence. <laughs> That's right. They're all thinking this is a domestic flight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, indeed. So as as part of its marketing um, as a decision engine, it has lots of these uh, features for things like shopping and travel and um, health, but they're not available to users outside of the US. Well, at least they're not available to people in the, in um Australia, and I presume you weren't able to use those features in Prague or in Czech, in the Czech Republic either, Gihan. That's correct. And um, what, what it ended up being for me was it's an inferior version of Google uh, when I started using Bing because it didn't take advantage of all those extra features that are available. So the idea is that if you, if you say something like, how can I spend two days in Florence? Uh, Bing is supposed to be smart enough to figure out that, okay, he's asking about travel to Florence. So in addition to the immediate results that relate to his query, uh, I'll also provide things about accommodation and concerts and galleries and pubs and uh, nightlife. And it's supposed to be smart enough to figure out that that's really what I want to know from that query. And because it was not relevant, it was uh, US-centric and didn't really help me, in the end, all I got was the direct results, which were 
I, I think in the last couple of weeks they've been getting better, Chris. So when I first did it, I was very disappointed. I, I ran the same search on Google and on Bing, and Google was streets ahead. But now I think the gap is closing, so they're certainly improving as we go. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I did notice a few changes over my evaluation period. So, for instance, when I fast, first started using Bing, uh, one of the features that I like about Google is that as you type a query, it starts making suggestions um, of the... The, the query that you might be about to enter. So rather than having, type, having to type all of your keywords, um, if you're looking for, say, Michael Jackson at the moment, you start typing Michael, it'll pop up Michael Jackson, and you can just select that from the, the pop-up menu that it displays. So that feature wasn't available on Bing when I first started using it, but um, a few days later it started, started uh, making suggestions as I entered queries. And the other feature that I liked was that it had a really nice, clean user interface. Um, there were no um, ads down the sides or up the fr uh, or underneath the query box, um, but then a few days later those started to appear. So whether that was just my experience or whether that was a, a set of features being introduced uh, as as Bing was coming on stream, um, I don't know. But um, yeah, things were things are changing pretty fast at Bing. Yes, and uh, I'd recommend to anybody who's listening to this and hasn't tried out, particularly Bing, it's worth doing it. Just go to Bing, B-I-N-G dot com, and try it out. It has got a very clean user interface, as you, as you say, Chris, and its results are pretty good. So if you want to just have an alternative to Google, then I would highly recommend trying out Bing. An interesting thing, I read a little bit of trivia about this, Chris, is that they chose the name Bing deliberately so that it could be used as a word. So you know, now, nowadays people will say, oh, let me go and Google that. Uh, so Microsoft chose the name Bing because they want that to enter the vernacular. They want people to say, uh, let me just go and Bing that. Yeah, it's a very clever part of their marketing strategy. And apparently they've got uh, a lot of money that they're prepared to invest in marketing Bing. So um, if nothing else... Uh, we're going to be hearing a lot about Bing just because of the marketing effort by Microsoft um, as opposed to word-of-mouth recommendations. Yes, uh, I did hear uh, Microsoft CEO uh, Steve Ballmer talking about search and he was speaking to Stanford University graduates and he was asked about the future of search and he made the point, interestingly, he said that in the search space, Microsoft is a very small player. So even though Microsoft as a company is very big, he feels that it's, a, it's tiny compared to the, the mammoth Google. So he feels that uh, it's a re it really is a David versus Goliath battle here. Even though we look at it as saying it's a lot of money that they're putting into it, he feels it's nothing compared to what Google is able to do and the, the marketing muscle that Google has. Yeah. Well, they've, they've managed to achieve big things already, haven't they? Because I've heard it um, said that Bing has already leapfrogged Yahoo into second place uh, in terms of number of web searches. There's still a, a small fraction, around 20%, I think, of the, uh, the web search share that they have. So I'm a bit sceptical about that, not about that stat alone, but I'm just a bit sceptical whether they're going to maintain that lead. It certainly came out with a lot of publicity and a lot of fanfare, so it makes sense that in the first month or so, lots of people will be trying it out. And I think that remains to be seen, whether it, whether it maintains that lead over Yahoo or whether it just drops back to the field just because that's the natural, that's the natural consequence of something that's new. A, a report I read, Gihan, I don't know how uh, much credence you can place in it. It was in the New York Post, which apparently is a bit of a tabloid newspaper in the US, was that, um, that Bing has really got uh, Google's um, 
executives and directors quite worried, so much so that uh, one of the co-founders, Sergey Bring, has um, put together a crack team of guys to, to try and keep an eye on what um, Bing is introducing and trying to work 24-7 on uh, making sure that uh, Google remains top of the heap. And that's good, isn't it? That's what you'd expect in a normal competitive world. Obviously, like they will have people looking at the competition and looking at what they're doing. And it's healthy, it's positive, it's good for us. And it's what we normally expect from business. And it's what we haven't had from, business, from search in the last few years. And perhaps the reason why that's newsworthy is because it's not because it should be newsworthy by itself, but just because Google has been dominant for so long that suddenly... Uh, new things are coming along and Google has to stand up and take notice. Yeah, so that was our lament in our last podcast, that this lack of uh, real competition for Google as far as web search is concerned, the worry is that that's unhealthy, that there's nothing to spur them to uh, continue to innovate in order to compete with uh, rivals. But if uh, if tabloid reports and, and so on are to be believed, then Bing and perhaps also Alpha, if nothing else, have uh, are keeping Google honest and keeping them innovating. Well, I think that's the biggest thing that's come out of this, Chris. So if we're talking about my my conclusion, my summary, I would say that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit early. I, I'm not that impressed with Alpha. Uh, I'm giving being a cautious thumbs up. But I think the most positive thing that's come out of it is that suddenly, just like we were 10 years ago, we're suddenly talking about what's the best search engine and are there competitors and are there things like the visual search engines, which we haven't mentioned today, which could be serious competitors to Google and that conversation hasn't really happened except in the most technical sort of circles but in the public domain that conversation is now starting to happen again and I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah I absolutely absolutely agree I don't think Alpha and Bing are tools that are as good as uh, Google they're not going to knock it off its number one perch at least not in the the near future but things are going to continue to evolve and uh, one of the ways that's going to happen is um, if we continue to take a look at these tools talk about them and continue to use them. So uh, I would encourage our listeners to go and judge for themselves, try out Alpha, try out Bing, and uh, see what they're like, and uh, and revisit them over time because they're likely to continue to be invested in and continue to improve and hopefully continue to spur innovation at Google as well. Absolutely. And in the in the notes for this podcast, we'll include a number of links, obviously to Alpha and Bing directly, but also to some of the other, the background information that we've talked about here. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more of the background or learning a little bit more of where this fits into the search space, we'll include those links for you. Okay, Gihan. Well, I guess our next podcast will be recorded back in Perth. So wishing you a safe journey home. Thanks very much, Chris. And I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.